Bible Church. Welcome back to the Midweek Podcast. Thanks for taking some time to tune in and listen to us today. Um, Brent and myself are here to uh, to connect the Sundays together. And then a little bit later, we're going to get to hear from Cliff and Casey Watts and the story we, uh, their story as we uh, got to interview them and talk with them uh, briefly. So Brent, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm really doing well. I love this weather. I feel good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I really am, you know, I don't know if folks realize this, we're recording this now Tuesday late afternoon. And thinking about Sunday, it was exciting to see several people continuing to come back of our members that were, uh, have been at home for most of this, a lot of this season. Uh, that's been exciting. There's also several new faces that were joining us. Some mm-hmm. people that have not been connected to any church locally that are, that are, uh, uh, deciding to come and, uh, and worship with us. And I think one of the unique things about the Sundays where we start a new book of the Bible, mm-hmm. as we started Jonah on Sunday, for we'll be there for six weeks, five more weeks, uh, is that it provides the opportunity to get a, you know, you think of like a telescope that can zoom in and 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 scale out. Uh, I'm told that's what they do. Uh, <laughs> so this was kind of like if, uh, you know, if I had to preach a sermon just on Jonah as a whole, mm-hmm. and that that's always a challenging thing to try to do justice uh, to the, the text and the larger themes, knowing you can't hit everything, uh, but to give kind of a larger picture of what this book is. And now the privilege of for five weeks, being able to start to telescope down into into some of these, uh, and that's always a privilege to walk through that. Uh, you know, this is uh, as we did that, and we're going to zoom in this Sunday and chapter one, all the verses, but verse seventeen. So we're going to be in <laughs> verse one through sixteen. We're saving seventeen for Easter, uh, but as we take time to to zoom through this, I've got three words, Stephen, that I want to ring in your ears. I'm ready. All right. Word I'm sure one. they're alliterated. Uh, it's very possible. <laughs> it's very possible. And if anybody doesn't like alliteration, listen, <laughs> Jesus alliterates in the Greek for a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. So if Jesus liked alliteration and you don't, get your heart right. Okay? Otherwise, in, heart order, right. in order to be Christ-like, you must alliterate. I didn't go that far, <laughs> but I'm going to go well, let's, let's, take let's, take be... <laughs> let's take it. Let's take it. Let's take it. So we begin with the Word. Uh, That's what we looked at on Sunday a little bit as well, but we begin with the Word, the Word of God. It never returns void. And one of the things we're going to discuss on Sunday is uh, we think of, and theologians have talked about this for many years, but how do we understand the will of God when you look around at the world and you see evil and things like that? And I think one of the, to me, one of the most helpful ways to to try to think through and understand in history, a God who's not bound by time and space, he doesn't grow in knowledge, he's not... He doesn't have a plan B. There's nothing like that. Uh, he's outside of time. All time and existence and space are held together by God. Uh, and so as we think of the will of God, there's several different components, right? We can think of the decretive will of God, where God decreed, let it be, and it was. Right? So mm-hmm. God decrees things. But a helpful way as we kind of go into that a little further is uh, some have described God's will, one component as his perfect will. And God's perfect will uh, is summarized in like the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, First Thessalonians 5, you know, rejoice always, pray continually, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Things that are uh, very clearly in Scripture, they are uh, according to His Word. Mm-hmm. They're how God made us to live fruitfully, connected as branches to the vine. Uh, and this is God's perfect will for our life. So we could say with complete confidence uh, as we speak to somebody, hey, this is God's will for your life. So, you know, if somebody's for example, living in, in sin, sexual sin, or, or doing things they ought not, we can say with 100% confidence, you are not living in God's will for your life. Mm-hmm. You are living in sin. You're living against the, the perfect will of God, uh, the law of Christ. 
And on the other side of that, then we look, and so we look at the book of Jonah, we see God's perfect will in the word that's given in the first two verses. Arise, get up, you know, go to Nineveh, give this word. That's God's perfect will for Jonah. Jonah, of course, the whole pretty well book is centered around him not living according to his perfect will. So that second word, Stephen, the first word is word. word. Very good. And the second word is whale. Uh, so not like the fish, but uh, but whaling around. We see that Jonah, he, he, he goes against God's word. He discovers for his life what is God's permissive will. Mm. Uh, God's permissive will, though, has boundaries, doesn't it? He's mm -hmm. not going to allow him to get all the way uh, to the city he desires to go to on the tip of Spain. Instead, he will uh, end that. He'll, of course, literally get eaten by a whale uh, or a giant fish, and, and he'll get taken back. But God's permissive will, he permitted him to do so. Uh, we see in chapter 1 the, the wailing forth of the, uh, of the sailors, the mariners. They're going and they're crying out to God, it says. They cry out to their God, each to their own God. Uh, and then they're, they're, there's just urgency. They hear what Jonah tells them to do, and it says they, they row with all their strength, and yet nothing happens. And so uh, that is really, in a nutshell, the picture of a person that chooses not to abide in God's will. For Jonah, but also for everybody he interacts with, he brings wailing into their life. Instead of the, the believer bringing a fountain of life and nourishment, uh, it brings heartache, it brings wailing, it brings hollowness, it brings these counterfeit rests mm. uh, that seem good, but they're, they're, they can't deliver. Uh, and then our, so our first word is word. Our second word is whale, not the fish. All but right. The, yeah. You're going to get an A. <laughs> uh, and the third component is worship. You know, verse 16 ends with uh, the mariners recognizing who the true Lord God is, not some regional God, not, not Dagon, not some uh, God over agriculture or something like that, but but there is one true God. He's God over the land and the sea, the heavens and the earth. Uh, he created us, and then it says that they make a sacrifice to God. They, it appears, go from idolaters or worshipers of false gods to worshipers of the Lord God, the one true God. Uh, and so as we unpack this in our family service this Sunday, as we sing together, as we uh set our hearts on the Lord. We sit under the word as we, as we, as we tithe and give our offerings. Uh, we do this knowing that we're also going to have kids in the service K through fifth. And I want to give a specific challenge. Okay. All right. Very good. I, this, you're, you're, <laughs> I was right waiting. In, you're ready. <laughs> and here's what that challenge is. I want to encourage folks. And because as you remember, we have family service last Sunday of every month. It's not simply to give our kids leaders a break. That's not it. Uh, that may be one of the, the several fruits, but the desire is that our kids uh, would be able to see faith both practiced and taught as we observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, well, there's a reason we don't uh, lower this service and tailor it totally to the kids. It is important that our kids see that they're a part of the local church, and the local church doesn't cater to anyone's just entirely needs. Mm -hmm. uh, that we're we're giving, we're gathering, giving this corporate offering of worship and. And now we're observing the Lord's Supper and, and, uh, and all these different components that are taking place, and they're welcome. And so one of the key ways that we do that, of course, you, as you uh, begin our service and uh, you know, we have a call to worship and all those things, we recognize the kids, but that happens, I think, by our church family, and I see this happen often. I would challenge anyone listening to this, whether you're a college student, a senior adult, anywhere in between, that you would walk across the room and introduce yourself to the kids. Now, they may be mortified as you come <laughs> over, okay? That's very possible. 
but that you would just say, so for example, in this situation, hi, I'm Mr. Brent. I love your parents. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, what's your name? And ask them what their name is and ask them, hey, did you get an activity bag? What's in your bag? And and just engage them and let them know you're so happy that they're there with us. Mm-hmm. That is so important for our kids to know. They're a part of our larger church family. Uh, Stephen, what would you add to that as before we listen to this uh, this great interview we're able to have with the Watts family? Yeah, uh, you know, the family service, having having the kids in there, you know, they're, they're I think they're way more in tune than we give them credit for. They're way more observant than we even realize. Uh, they pick up on whether or not you care about it or not, you know, sitting next to you, no pressure on any of us, but, <laughs> but you know, your, your kids sitting next to you, um, you know, observe how, how important this is to you and, um, and they're able to take notes. They're able to recall a lot. And I think you know one of one of the one of our favorite things that that we enjoy doing after family service is, you know, over lunch immediately following, we want to talk about the sermon together. We want to talk about the service mm-hmm. and the things they observed. And a lot of times, there's discussion about the Lord's Supper. If there's a baptism, there's discussion there as well. And so there's a lot there to follow up on and and to be able to you know kind of help ingrain into their their brains. You know what it is that they're seeing and. Um, and they get to learn by practice of of worshiping alongside parents and other church members as well. So it's 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 a beautiful time, and you know um, it'll be it'll be sweet this Sunday as well. So uh, church, we're praying uh, for you, and we're grateful for each of you, and uh, thank you for your for your faithfulness. Uh, we praise God for you. Uh, we're gonna turn now to our our interview with uh, Cliff and Casey Watts, and so we pray that this would be an encouragement to you. Today we get to sit down with Cliff and Casey Watts. Y'all, thank you for being here and right. sharing no some time with us. Um, again, as I, as I say every single week, um, this is a, a time that we get to just share um, the story of other church members to the, back to the church body. Uh, it allows us to get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, as people maybe get to to see your picture as uh, as it comes up, we post the the podcast. We'll see your picture. They may recognize you and get to know a little bit more of your your story. Um, and so, I'd love to just kind of jump right into it. Um, and Cliff, I'd love to to start with you if you just share a little bit about your you know, your your upbringing and how you came to know Christ. Sure, uh, I'm a Mississippi boy. I was born in South Mississippi and uh, into a Christian home, uh, kind of a non-traditional Christian home, I would say. My dad was a believer, but never really attended church uh, unless I was preaching, uh, which I did from time to time as a teenager and into my young adulthood. Um, Came to know Christ around the age of 12 at an Oasis camp, which is a Southern Baptist camp that they have on the beaches in Florida. Um, And all throughout my childhood, just grew up around the church and, and knowing what uh, Christ had done for me, but not really kind of understanding it. But uh, as I moved into my teenage years, really began to grasp the depravity of my soul and how, you know, we as humans are bent for destruction without the saving grace of Christ. Um, and I was baptized, I think, uh, I know when I was baptized, but <laughs> I was baptized when I was 12, but I really began to understand and truly embrace uh, the grace of Jesus when I was probably. 14 or 15 years old, um, 
and haven't sinned since. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Casey, fact check. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Um, I, I feel like I've progressively grown as a Christian, you know, obviously since then, but uh, I, I have enjoyed the grace of Jesus more than, more than I probably should have uh, throughout my life. But um, that's pretty much it. I moved to Texas when my dad died when I was 20. Mm. I can I can get into as much detail as you want, but <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, yeah. Met Casey at a camp and conference center in Livingston, Texas, and then permanently resided in Texas ever since then. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, that's a perfect segue. So tell us how you came <laughs> right, to Christ, Casey, yeah. and then you tell us sure. how you ended up meeting this guy. So my story is a little bit different because I did not grow up in the church. Um, until I went to middle school, and then we had what they called fifth quarter, you know, after oh, the ball yeah. games. Oh, yeah. Fifth, yeah. And oh, so yeah. we would go to that just because it was something to do. And I grew up in Jefferson, so it was a small town of about 3,000 people. So what else is there to do except to go to fifth quarter because you're in middle school and you can't do anything <laughs> else? And so, um, so that's kind of where my journey started. But it really, like I was one of those really rebellious kids, um, extremely rebellious in, throughout middle and high school. And um, I had decided, I actually got baptized when I was in middle school, but it was just kind of one of those things that I did it because my friends were doing it. I didn't really know exactly what it meant, but I felt like, okay, they're telling me I should do this, so I should do it. Um, and then I went to college as a music major and I went to University of North Texas, and my dad was just adamant that I was making a mistake. I needed to go to SFA. It's closer to home. And I was, of course, because I was so stubborn and rebellious, I was like, no, I'm going to be a music major, and this is just going to change my life, and it's going to be amazing. So <laughs> enter God. It did not work out that way. And God so clearly um, started changing my path then because he led me to a lot of really great people who were believers, who plugged me into um, some different groups while I was at UNT. And from there, I didn't have a close-knit group of people that I felt like I um, could help me to understand Christ, but I was slowly progressing. And I just felt called to do what I said I would never do, and that was to go to SFA closer to home. And then I majored in what I said I would never major in, which was education. And so it was almost like I was trying to build my life for myself and <clears throat> God was clearly intervening and leading me to what he was calling me to. And um, so I actually truly came to know Christ um, when I was probably a sophomore in college. Um, and I started working at Camp Choye in Livingston. And it was there that I got baptized again because I felt like now I know what this is. This is the reality of who Jesus is. And when you're working at a Christian camp, it is like you are in a bubble. Mm. And so it, you're constantly surrounded by these people who are speaking of and living out what Jesus has called them to live out. And so it's easy to live out this Christian faith. But outside of that, it's a little more challenging. Um, but yeah, that's... That's kind of, that was my journey. And then Cliff and I met, and that's the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> he, so, he 
taught me that light that he's perfect and so i was like oh wow incredible there's so many stories of her saying that she's not going to do something oh yeah and ends up falling in love with that thing or whatever (laughs) i'm one of those things (laughs) (laughs) we we broke up numerous times in our dating nothing nothing happened to make us break up she was just like no, this is not yeah. right. Not right. Very <laughs> resistant. So God says, "You're. Yeah. This is for you. Yes, it yeah. is." And I'm like, "No, it's not. No, no I no, wouldn't no. say that. It's not true." So, <laughs> she yeah. broke up with me the day that I bought her engagement ring. She didn't know I'd bought it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was and really sad. I also, he said he loved me, and I told him I loved him. And then later I said, "Hey, you remember when I told you I loved you? I don't. I didn't really mean that." <laughs> So. Oh, not noted. Yeah. Man. It's good, good to know. Good to okay, know. so help me out. So you went from camp. You're both, you and Cliff, you're working at the camp, right? Well, we actually didn't work at the camp at the same time. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. She sings. I don't know if the church I've knows that. that. Whoa. Yeah, she yeah, sings on occasion. Get you involved there. <laughs> uh, has quite the pipes. And I was uh, I was the maintenance man at the, ch- at the, at the camp at Comfort Center, and they were doing a fundraiser in Houston. And um, I had never met Casey, but... Um, I was in another room setting up some speakers or something for the camp or whatever, and uh, I heard this voice. I was like, whoa. <laughs> so I went to see who it was, and it was this tiny little lady standing up on the stage singing. <laughs> and uh, we both began to flirt by our skills with childcare. So, like, oh. I, I was helping out with the kids who were there at the fundraising event or whatever, and she was too. I wasn't even talking to her or whatever, but. Uh, oh, we yeah. started sending notes to each other on MySpace. I don't know if anybody wow, remembers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got them. <laughs> this is so good. Somewhere. But um, for months, we talked. Just just conversation, never met up or anything. And then finally, she said, hey, are you ever going to ask me out? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, I'm broke, but I guess, uh, I guess we could go out on a date or something. So we went to Applebee's in Lufkin. And he ordered a salad of all things. Horrible. Horrible choice. (laughs) Yeah. Because you know what it looks like when somebody eats a salad. salad Love will make you do do funny things, (laughs) don't it? Eat a salad. (laughs) It was funny. Well, so tell me, how did you all get connected to Grace Bible then? So you went from there, you met there, started dating. uh, Do you want to tell or do you want me to tell? Yeah, you can tell. Okay. So um, we dated for probably nine months, and then I proposed, and... We began to think about our future or whatever. We got married in June of 2007 and settled in Nacogdoches. We, uh, she was teaching in Lufkin, and I was working at the prison in Rusk at the time. Um, and we were, we were both believers, obviously. We were just kind of decided we were going to church hop until we found where, where home was. Uh, we went to a couple of local churches. I won't name them because they were great places, too. Sure. But um, I think probably our third... Sunday, we came to Grace, and it was just, we knew that yeah. was just where we belonged. But everybody, not necessarily because of any one thing, but we just felt welcomed, and we felt like, um, and we didn't know anybody. No. We didn't no know one. anybody in Nacogdoches. Yeah. But we had a great aunt and uncle that lived here at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but people reached out to us at church and immediately began to just try to plug us in. Not, not to make us do anything, but just kind of make us feel like, you have a purpose here, and yeah. uh, that was important to both of us, I think. And we really, pretty soon after we started going to church, um, attended a small group. Yeah. And we've been with that some Same. of the people yeah. in that small group for... Since the beginning. Since the beginning. Huh. Which, honestly, or after the fact, found out that Zach Martin lived right across the street from us at the time on Heather Street. Um, 
So, and that's where we met for small groups. So it was easy. We just walked. Very cool. (laughs) And those people just became family over time. I mean, I have family somewhat nearby and about an hour and a half away, but it truly was those people are now our family away from family. Um, as is the church too. I mean, in in general, Mm -hmm. but. That's huge. You know, B, we talk about devoted to the word. You're part of a group walking through the word together, applying that to each other, keeping each other mm-hmm. grounded. You know, I, I say that very often, especially at pre-marriage counseling sessions. I, I tell the, uh, I tell the young man that the, uh, or older man, whoever, yeah, I tell the, I tell the groom to be that the best thing for you is that, is that she has godly women that love the Lord more and his word more than they even love her. Because if they love the Lord that much, they're going to want her to walk in righteousness. And I tell her, uh, the best thing for her husband to be uh, <clears throat> is that he has men in his life that love the Lord enough to be able to put put their arm around him and and keep him grounded in the way of the Lord. And uh, and that's a component that small groups done well can really function that way for our lives. It's not just to help us when we start to drown. It's also, hey, I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. How you doing? What's, tell me what's going on. And, and kind of catching some of those early warning flags that happen before we ever articulate them Absolutely. to somebody else. Yeah, you all have, uh, you have three children. Yeah. Well, oldest Haley's in middle school, correct? Yeah. 13. 13. Yeah. All right. Uh, what is that like uh, having parenting in that, in this age when the kids are starting mm-hmm. to get mobile, they're starting to get their own little identities and responsibilities and uh it comes every solution they say has its own set of problems yeah so what's what's this season so easy what oh wow (laughs) (laughs) okay so i will say um their independence i mean they they love being independent and having that feeling of being independent making their own choices yeah and so that part of it has been really great um and somewhat easy, not easy. That's not just different. Helping I guess. them make the right choices right. and making them know that are helping them think that it's right. their own choice. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's been really interesting to watch them grow and change into becoming more of these individually minded people. The hard part is like, how do you how do you guide without? Um, I don't know what's the word I'm hovering looking too for. Much, yeah, yes. without hovering or without making it seem like a set of legalistic rules that you have to follow. How do you yeah. lead them to truly know who Christ is mm-hmm. and to want that and to seek that? Um, so that that part of it is a little, just a little bit challenging. <laughs> yeah. The most challenging part for me has been to realize how much of a mirror they are. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, yes. Because yeah. if I'm angry, they get angry, or if I'm staring at my phone 24-7, which I have a habit of yeah. a phone addiction, I guess, or whatever, and I don't want that in them. Yeah. And then I often hear, in fact, I think I've, I often tell my small group buddies this. I was on the way to church one morning, and the kids were doing something, and I, I yelled at them, why can't you just do what I ask you to do? Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not doing it to be mean. And then I, I could hear the Holy Spirit just saying, why can't you just do what I ask you to do? <laughs> I was like, man, how much is parenting just like what God wants from us? Like he's not trying to be this dictator. He's just trying to help us make good decisions. And we want to see the same thing in our kids, but it's so hard in a lost yeah. world that wants to take them away from us, you know? Yeah. And where we are also sinners too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I wasn't comparing myself to God, by the way. <laughs> well, no, you did yeah. say you were perfect, so... <laughs> Jesus telling us that, right? How much you, yeah. you know, with evil yeah. are to oh, red hearts yeah, compared to me, the good yeah. giver of good gifts. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll give and desire. Uh, tell me, you know, your your careers, you're, you're, you're both busy, you, you both... Uh, you both work, uh, and I, I'd love to hear Cliff from your your context. And, and you're in a place that you see a lot of hurt. You see a lot of uh, darkness. Is that a right word to be able to describe? Uh, yeah. And yet, absolutely. And yet, a focus upon trying to reflect the way of life, <clears throat> keeping your heart and mind healthy toward the things of Christ, while being in a very difficult job. I don't know how much you can share with us about yeah. what you do, but um, I, I, I think can that's share a, as insightful. much as much as you want. But obviously, no names, but. Um, I work in the protective services part of our government and, um, I work with intellectually and physically disabled people around our state who have, for whatever reason, been, um, they have allegations of abuse or neglect. And I run a team of investigators that basically investigates those matters and finds out what happens. I like to, I like what you just said, cause I do try to, and it's hard, but I try to look at it as a uh, an opportunity to serve people who are not often touched by other people at all, like as far as you know human contact goes. Yeah. But we see a lot of depravity, a lot of a lot of sinful behavior, uh, and try to make those things right for people who can't, who don't have a voice. Basically, some literally don't have a voice. Mm. Um, so it's very challenging, uh, often isolating because. You know, I can't come home and I mean, I do tell her some things, but like, I can't, yeah, I can't put all that on her. Right. Uh, but I often have to watch it myself, like the tendency to treat them <laughs> and my family as, uh, you know, I isolate, I'll try to put them in a box as well. And it's hard to keep that from happening sometimes, mm-hmm. but, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great opportunity. I love what I do. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, you, you definitely see, how broken the world is uh, when you start looking at, at cases like that, that we deal with. Uh, and it makes you or makes me somewhat paranoid. Like when well, my kids want to go out and play even like, I'm like, yeah, you know, let's just, let's play in the backyard, you know, yeah. the backyard's safe. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's not go out on the road or near yeah. the road because there's bad people. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And Casey, how have you kind of related to that? And I think, <clears throat> you know, as a married couple, in our church, and we've got a lot of people at work, everything from oil field that have the unique com- con, you know, difficulties that come with that marriage situation where they may be gone for weeks, you know, mm-hmm. at a time. And, uh, you know, we got people that are young figuring out their way in marriage. We got many, of course, many people have been married for many years. Um, some one, one, one spouse stays at home in this season. I mean, there's just a lot of different contexts. But what have, what have you kind of gained in, in marriage and being married and, uh, and having a husband that Cliff so appreciate your brother and you being on the front lines there and you've been nothing but always encouraging uh, in my interactions with you. It's been a, always a joy to see you. You always have a good sense of humor too to be able to laugh. And I think you you, maybe, maybe you have to have that in the context. <laughs> it's a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are things that kind of you've learned in, in marriage and, uh, oh, and balancing gosh. everything from kids, being faithful to that and, yeah. and then encountering those things? We talk about this all the time because I think we are extremely, I want to say fortunate, but also obviously know that we're extremely blessed in our marriage. We did go through like the seven year slump, I guess is what a lot of people call it, but it was after we adopted and then right after probably about six months after the adoption, um, 
it was almost drain. like, we, yeah, we were <laughs> exhausted and it's like we had to get to know each other again. Mm. But going through that made our marriage so much stronger. Um, and we just have decided, I mean, it's really been prevalent in our small group. We talk a whole lot about our marriage and um, how to keep it sacred and how to set aside time for it and really be intentional with each other. And I, I think that that's something that we both have learned over time. And obviously we still make mistakes. <laughs> you know, you don't make mistakes. <laughs> I make all the mistakes. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but I mean, it's not, I don't know that marriage is ever anything that you say that you can do really well. Like we, I feel like we are doing it well. But we're also sinners. Like yeah. we make mistakes, as does everyone. But I also believe that if we're really going back to scripture and thinking about who God says we are and what God's word says he expects of us, then that's something that can be prayed on and, and worked through, even mm. in the hard times. Mm. I don't know if I answered that question, but. It's a great answer. Cliff, anything that you'd add? Things that you've learned along the way and, and saying this has made me a more Christ-like husband in this well, component through the years. Um, my only th my, my thought actually goes back to our wedding day when we decided not to do the unity candle. Uh -huh. We decided to do a, uh, a like a covenant, a salt covenant oh, yeah? with each other. And I don't even know if this is oh, true. Yeah. I never really did the research on it. But apparently in biblical days, they when two people made an agreement, they would take their own things of salt and they would mix them together. And they would say that the only way to break that agreement was to separate whose grains of salt were whose, which is obviously impossible. I could have made that story up. I don't know. You, you, I don't, I'm not getting affirmation. Sounds good. Yeah, 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 so yeah, of course. Totally totally of course. Yeah. It's a great idea. No. So if it's not true, hey, it's you know, true there's a component. Us. Yeah, you're right. Third you know, the idea of being the, the, some of the salt would be cast out and that salt itself, you could never go retrieve that from right. the land, but you would both know that that salt was a witness. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And your if you broke the covenant, you know. And that's how we, that we have viewed yeah. our marriage. Uh -huh. Like, yes, there are going to be hard days, yeah. but I heard a long time ago, I couldn't tell you who said it, but uh, they said to wake up every day and decide to be married. And it sounds weird to say, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's what I do. Like, I mean, I'm not going to obviously be perfect every day, but um, I try to remember her first, obviously Christ mm -hmm. first, and then my family. Um, and when I mess up, I try to own it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then I also remember the salt. I, you know, I can't figure out which grains are mine. Mm -hmm. I've been trying for 14 years. <laughs> I have not been trying for 14 years. But... It's that's not an, there's no exit there is no exit strategy for marriage so it's yeah. it's yeah and every day is a choice it, it is yeah. like you choose you make the choice to love your spouse, um, but God is faithful in that yeah so that's good stuff. I heard somebody once, a pastor, an old wives tell pastor wives tell. There's a lot of those out there, but it said something like the pastor sat down with the. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a uh, we'll say a deacon or somebody in his church came and said, "Listen, I think I think we're separating. I just I don't even I don't even like my wife anymore." And the pastor said, <clears throat> "You know, so would you say you you hate your wife?" And he said, "Yeah, I do." You know, uh, well, he said, "Listen, the good news for you, the scripture tells us to to hate our or to love our neighbors, love, our so love our neighbors. You know, love <laughs> your enemies." And so, time for you to love her and forgive her. And what's that look like to pursue her? And, that's how the story goes anyway. But I think there's mm. there's great insight to that to say, uh, you know, I need one of the greatest solutions to my marriage is that 
that I would love Christ more, and uh, and we both need to love Christ more. And I therein will humble myself more quickly, and uh, sitting under the Word and humbling our hearts and letting the Spirit till up my heart is uh, is invaluable. And so I'm grateful for both of you, your faithfulness to the Lord, your faithfulness to, uh, to to worship at Grace Bible, your faithfulness to your small group, your faithfulness to be willing to serve. You serve, you both serve in multiple different areas and the flexibility to have that that heart as you're in a busy season training up the kids. So yeah. grateful for you both. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.